Amen. Well, I'm excited this morning because we are starting a new series, and this new series is going to be on faithful, faithful and five catalysts that can help us kind of launch our faith. I don't know if you have encountered this sort of a person, but I know that I have many a time, especially during faith crises, specifically ones where I show up to the hospital. There's a joke that you never want the chaplain or the pastor to show up in the hospital room because it's not good situation. That was certainly true at the large church I was at in North Carolina. There's so many people that uh, we weren't able to get to visit everyone, but if we were able to visit, it was a serious thing that they were having. And I remember going and visiting uh, an auntie that was there at the hospital. She just had gone into UNC and she had come in through the emergency room and then she was there. And it just wasn't a good health situation. And we've all kind of experienced someone in those situations. And usually you encounter as a pastor or a chaplain uh, just an array of emotions that someone rightfully so would have in those moments. Whether it's tears or whether it's, you know, denial or whatever it is, there's all sorts of emotions. I remember this one because this was the first church that I had been placed at, and I remember this experience stood out to me because the woman that as I walked into the room, I asked, hey, how, I didn't say auntie because it's in North Carolina, but I said, hey, auntie, how are you doing today? I am so sorry. We've been praying for you, and we've been thinking about you, and she perked up and smiled, and she said, you know, I'm not the best, but the Lord is good the Lord is good. And it was just one of those reminders of the people that have this sort of unshakable faith, right? You know the people I'm talking about that, you know, hear their story, whether it's, it was a, a miscarriage or whether it was a recent break with their spouse or whatever it is, but yet their sense of like hope in God and optimism is just there still, right? And I know that for me, I try my best to do that, but sometimes, you know, when the hard things happen, we get hit by questions, and we get hit by doubts, and we get filled with anxiety. But there's those people that we know that when we encounter them, their unshakable faith inspires us, right? And you look to them. And the thing about it is it's not necessarily, I've come to find out, that they are overly optimistic that God will heal them, right? that they're not thinking to themselves, this auntie wasn't in the hospital thinking to herself, things are just going to be okay. The Lord is good. She knew that she was about to enter into hospice care, and she knew that her situation here in this physical body was not a move towards the health and life and vibrancy that we normally hope and expect or hope to expect. But yet she still believed that God was good. And yet she still had that hope in the love of God, not necessarily in the outcome that she might experience here and now. So that, that's one story of what I mean by faithful, right? Of this unshakable faith that no matter what comes our way, we just feel grounded like Jesus talks about in the gospel. That we like, feel like we have this foundation that no matter what, the torrential downpour or the flood that he uses in the example, it won't remove that foundation that we have in God. 
Another way I, I refer to this sort of unshakable faith, it might be a little bit more temporal. And what I mean by that is that there might be a time in your life, or perhaps you're going through it right now, or maybe never in your life, where you just feel connected to God. That perhaps, you know, I know for myself, I didn't grow up in the church, and I wasn't a Christian, and there was a time, especially in high school, after I had just started following the words of Jesus and the teaching and being part of a Christian community, I just felt like I, I was learning so much, my faith was going deeper day by day, and I just felt empowered in my faith and like I was growing, you know, step by step by step. And it just had this sort of good feeling to it. Now, what I, I've come to find out later is that one of the language that was used at that time in high school was, how is your relationship with God is a question that I would get. And, you know, people would talk about being close to God or, you know, in that context is whether you had backslidden and kind of moved away from God. Now, if you don't hear anything from this sermon series, I want to make this just crystal clear. You can be the person with unshakable faith. You can be the person that is, you know, just on all cylinders, feeling like your faith is growing and you're getting closer to God. But the reality is, is that the closeness and your relationship to God will never change, either today, tomorrow, or yesterday. That our relationship with God has been secured in Jesus, okay? that you, that God comes to us in Christ, and I like to hold the analogy, if you were to come shake my hand, you know, hold on to my hand, and then let go of my hand. And what has changed in that relationship? Absolutely nothing, except for the disposition of one of the people in that relationship. And that's how it is with God. God has embraced us, and God's love is around us no matter what, whether you like, know it, or believe it or not. And so if you have doubts, if you have been succumbed by whatever that situation that I described for that auntie, that is okay. That is okay because God's love is there for you, and you will not grow closer to that. With that said, though, the experience of feeling like you're on all cylinders following after Christ, and then also that sort of unshakable faith in those times of difficult circumstances, feels good in those moments, right? It gives you the sense of security and peace. And so for us to strive after that is not a bad thing. For us to strive after that sort of sense of fullness in our faith is a good thing. And although we can't control the relationship between us and God, because God's already there, we can change our disposition. In fact, this is one of the basic tenets. So, you know, Christianity, we have a, a lot of different flavors, and we call those flavors denominations. And there are some that call themselves non-denominational, which is just another flavor of the spectrum at the ice cream parlor that we call God's seat around the table. How about that? But the thing is, is that we, we, here in this church, we're United Methodists, and one of the things that makes us unique is we talk about grace all the time. Not that others don't, but it's just one of the things that we talk about more in our flavor. It's kind of like more chips in the chocolate chip. Um, but all that to say, yeah, I know, you get it now, right? You know, it's the one that you want, right? Um, but all that to say is that the, we talk about grace, and we call it a response-able grace, that God has allowed us to respond to God's grace. And that's really what it means for us to grow in our faith, 
is whether we take that initiative. And so for the next five weeks, we are going to explore five ways that God helps us, or like that we can help God work in us, right? And as spoiler alert, three of them are things you can do. Things that within your control, you can do them. Two of them are things that God does. Things that we can pay attention to and try to prioritize in our life, but ultimately, God will do the work in those. And I'll give you the, where we're going. Today, we're going to talk about practical teaching, and I'll unfold, unpack that in a minute. Next week, we're going to talk about pivotal relationships, the people that have influenced our life and help us grow. Again, that's something God controls, because we can't control the relationships that come our way. We can try to, but not the pivotal ones. We're also going to talk about private devotions and how they play a role in our life and filling us. We're going to talk about pivotal circumstances, just times in our life. Like when I was in high school, I got cut from the hockey team, and I found myself in this unique situation, and a friend invited me to church. And that is how my faith story began. I wasn't in control of that, but it was a pivotal circumstance. And then the last one we're going to talk about is personal ministry. And the reason I unfold those as these five catalysts is that I, I, Dean Nicole and I, who's our Duke Divinity intern, she's actually preaching at uh, Parker United Methodist this morning, but we've been reading this book by Andy Stanley called Deep and Wide. And in this book, he talks about how he and his team had done investigations about, like, what does it mean for these people that are faithful, you know, have that like rock-solid faith or just feel like they're pumping on all cylinders? And they asked them all, and they like asked about the areas in their life that help lead to that feeling, and they came up with these five Ps, these five catalysts. And I read those, and I thought to myself, that is just spot on. And I know there's probably other things that might have helped us in those moments or might help you in the future in those moments, but these five, I think, are pretty universal, at least for the most part, and they will help us have that feeling of unshakable faith, and they will also sort of help us grow and kind of feel like we're in all cylinders. And then the first one of these is practical teaching. And this is uh, actually something that I try to do, right? Is that one of the things I try to do is be a teacher as best I can in ways that you can implement in your life. But it's not just about practical teaching as in like what I'm doing up here or in a small group or what you might do like a teacher in a classroom or something like that. Because the point of practical teaching is the same point that Jesus had as he went through the parables, as he talked about in the gospel this morning. The point of practical teaching is that you might practice it, right, in your life. No teacher in this room, and I know we have some teachers, hopes to be in front of the classroom of their students and that they might go home and not take any of the, not retain any of the stuff from the classroom. I remember a professor at Duke Divinity School, uh, we had a, it was called the Theology of Bart class, right? Which to all of you probably sounds really exciting, right? If you don't know about Karl Barth, he's a theologian. I really find him interesting. But the thing about Karl Barth is I find theology and Barth super interesting. But he also wrote like 15,000 pages called The Church Dogmatics. 
And I'm sorry, friends, I was not about to read 15,000 pages in the course of one semester. And the professor knew it. He knew it. And so you want to know what he said? He reminded us as he like, gave us tons of readings for the week. He said, if you can't read it all, that's okay. My goal is that by the end of this, you will want to continue to read Bart. That was his goal. That after, as I left the classroom, I would want to uh, go and read it. My hope is that the things, the words that I say on Sunday morning aren't just, you know, pats on your back or feel-good messages. My hope is that they might, as I say every Sunday in one way, shape, or form, might sink in and transform us. See, because that's what Jesus was really talking about in this gospel message. He was talking about the ways in which people implement the teachings of old. And you have those who listen to the word and do what it says, and those who don't implement. And he uses the contrast of the, those who implement and those who don't implement as one who builds a house on a foundation of rock and one who builds a house on a foundation of sand. Jesus is the master of what we call parables. And if you don't know what a parable is, it's basically just a confusing kind of a way to describe scripture sometimes, or in other times, a unique contextual way to describe the message of God throughout the history. Jesus didn't come to kind of eradicate the Hebrew Bible and the Hebrew faith. Jesus came to center us in the God of Abraham. But rather than coming and opening up the scribes and reading from it or from the Midrash text that other Pharisees of the times would do, he used common language and experiences. References to the kingdom of God, to his peasant class that was around him, not of some necessarily scriptural sense, but of something like the kingdom of heaven is like right? He would talk about the bread, and he would do, and he would talk about the fish, and he would talk about the seeds. One of the stories is a, sea, a farmer who goes out and spreads seed, and some of it lands in fertile soil, and some of it lands on a sidewalk where the crows will come, and they'll eat it, and some of it will land in thorns, and they might start to grow, but the, eventually the thorns will. People understood that, but Jesus does not commend those for understanding. So if you walk out and my scripture was, or my, my words were clear, or if you go out in your life and you're devotional and you seek out practical teachings and you read, you know, people that are writing devotionals, you read the scripture, you do all those things and you understand it and even believe it, that's great. But God wants us to practice it. God wants us to practice our faith. So when we hear a word on Sunday morning, it might change us. And friends, 
I know that sometimes people look at pastors like, you know, they're perfect. I am not perfect. And those of you who have been around me and, you know, hang out with my family know that that's not the case. But one of the things that I try to do is try to get better, <laughs> right? Even just the other day, I found myself losing my temper with the kids and just kind of at my end, right? To wake up the next day to a prayer, God, help me be better today than I was yesterday, right? Because isn't that what our faith is really about? Is to practice a way of growing and being more the image of Christ in the world. I know that sometimes we make mistakes. That's okay. So if you hear a word that might challenge you, that's called what we, a fancy word is conviction, which is not judgment. It's an invitation for life change. And so friends, practical teaching is really just an, a, a reminder that the words that we share together that God might have for us would not just sink in that we might remember them later in the week, but they might be part of that prayer in the morning like I had this week. Help me be better today. Help me be better today. And so I, we all have different life circumstances. And some of us might feel like we're kind of pumping on all cylinders, right? And some of us, you know, you're doers of the word, and James has been your go-to in the book of the Bible because he talks about being the doers of the word and, you know, all of that, and that's fine. But the thing is, I have found that in our faith, it's cyclical. We all have these mountaintop experiences, right? We all have those times in our life where we feel real strong, feel real good, but then we go through times in the valleys, go through times in the valleys. But one of the things that even when you're in the valley is implementing those like heart tugs, right? Those conviction moments, the things that are asking us to change, to implement those in your life. And that might just bring us out of those ruts that we're in. Putting yourself in a place to hear practical teaching is important. Practicing the teaching is more important. Because God doesn't just want us to be hearers of the word. God wants us to implement our faith, our belief, so that we might be those unshakable, faithful people. Not that everything happens perfectly in their life for but people that are just sort of grounded in the love of God, no matter their circumstances. So I, I invite you, I'm going to be inviting us to different things throughout this five-week series, but this week I want to invite you to read the scripture, okay? We'll send it out via email, Ma Matthew chapter 7. You can read the whole thing and all the things he talks about in that chapter. And hear Jesus' heart for you. Jesus doesn't say you're invited to the table of Christ when you're perfect. Jesus says come to the table and experience the love of God. Because it's that love that changes us and transforms us because that's the business that Jesus is in. 
life transformation. God wants us to be better versions of ourselves. God wants us to find safety and security in God's love, no matter the circumstances. God wants us to feel the joy that comes with, like, we're running on all cylinders, and we're not just running our tank on empty, waking up today wondering how we're going to get through to tomorrow. So over these next five weeks, let's put our faith into practice. And I invite you to read Scripture as one of those practices, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. This morning, though, I invite us to pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that over and over again throughout your Scriptures, you use language that we might understand. Not so that we might believe more or understand more, but so that we might implement the teachings that you would have for us. Teachings like loving our neighbor, being hospitable to the stranger, feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty. Help us have that sort of faith that is unshakable no matter what our experience. And help us live a faithful life and respond to the love that you have lavished upon us. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.